Glory to God. You may be seated, and this morning I want to take the messages that I had been preaching for a couple of months on the altar, and I want to take the messages I've been recently speaking on authority, and I want to bring them together. There's a natural link. There's a natural association between the altar of prayer and the authority that God wants to give us in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to call this message the altar of authority. Everybody say the altar of authority. Luke 10, 19, Jesus said, behold, which means understand, think about it, understand, get a handle on it. Behold, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. Now, this is uh, pretty pl uh, plain on the face of its statement that Jesus made, but let's, let's, not, let's not let the obvious get past us. Jesus' answer for all the powers of Satan against you and I is to give us his authority. That's his answer. When you and I are being oppressed, being attacked, by the enemy in the midst of trial, the Lord's answer is to release authority in your heart and in your mouth. Jesus' answer, when evil abuse of authority shows itself, it can only be stopped by countering it with God's authority. Because the Bible says all authority comes from Him, belongs to Him. So when authority, the authority God gives us, to raise our children, the authority God gives us to speak freely from our convictions, the authority God gives us to own property that we work for. All of our areas of authority come under attack from the enemy. He tries to take that authority away from you. He tries to take your authority, use it against you, impose his will on you. That's an abuse of authority. He uses other people to do it. Sometimes we elect those people, and they turn around and do that to us. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So the answer to the abuse or the evil use of authority is to confront it and counter it with God's authority. That's the answer. So I want you to get that idea. <clears throat> How many of you know what an authorization code is? You ever downloaded some software on your computer? But in order to have access, you've already paid the $34.99 for the soft software, and uh, they send you the link, and you're going to start to use it. But first, there's an authorization code. They send you an authorization code. That is a unique code given to you to unlock access to that program and make it yours so that that program can work for you. So the Lord wants to give you and I authorization codes to his programming, to his authority, to things that he wants to do in our life to work for us against the attacks of the enemy. Praise God. Somebody say amen. amen. God has given you visions and dreams, callings. He's spoken to you. You've opened your Bible and read it where it says, the believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And various other things about letting your light shine and being a witness for Jesus. All of those things are, think of them as programs. Think of them as programs the Holy Spirit downloads into your life. 
But there needs to be authority because everything God does, he does with authority. He doesn't do anything with a meager and a questioning or a confused approach. Everything is very deliberate and uh, with authority. And so the Lord wants to give all of us the, uh, the authorization code for everything that we come to him in prayer about. Well, the authorization code for you is embedded in the altar. I, I would like to jump up and down on that fact and just stomp on it and grind it into you, but I'm just going to have to say it and leave it with you that the authorization code, the authority that Jesus gives you, is embedded in the altar. So if you don't have an altar life, you're not going to have any access to heaven's authority. Although you read in the Bible where he's authorized you and given you authority over the enemy, functionally, there'll be no authorization code, nothing that'll open the power of the word. And people who run around and quote the scripture and, and claim things and declare things and decree things, but don't spend time at the altar, don't spend time in the presence of God, they don't, they don't have an authorization code. So you can say all the right things, even use the Bible. The devil used the Bible but he had no authorization code, and uh, it didn't work for him. When Jesus speaks to us about abiding, abide in me and my words abide in you, he's talking about himself as the altar. So this morning, when you think about abiding in the Lord, abiding in God, it's not maintaining an attitude of peace. It's not maintaining an attitude of confidence. People in the world do that. You can practice positive thinking. You can practice self-assertion. You can practice all kinds of emotional and mental uh, practices in your life that make you feel like you've got authority. But the fact is that abiding in Jesus is not just thinking. Abiding in Jesus is praying in the altar, altar time, spending time with God in prayer and coming before the Lord. So when Jesus says abide, he's literally referring to himself as an altar. And he's talking about himself as that place where you come and make contact. Jesus, our altar, and all those teachings I gave, beginning with Abraham and David and, and um, um, Gideon and uh, the other messages about the altars, all of those functions, all of those characteristics of the altar, they are <clears throat> all consolidated and fulfilled in Jesus, our ultimate altar. So in Jesus, our altar is where offering and communion takes place. That's why I have us come up when we present our offering to the Lord or when we're offering praise during the worship service. We need to engage at the altar because just dropping a check in a plate or singing songs, even if they are scripture songs, is not really communion. It's not really giving to God until we are engaging God in our giving, in our singing. Does that make sense? So we, it's a... It's a 
It is an engagement with Jesus. And Jesus is the altar, the place of offering and communion. He is the place of forgiveness and freedom. You can try to get free. You could say, I'm going to do better. But it's at the altar where God gives you the turnaround. He sets you free. He issues forgiveness. The altar of Jesus is the place of surrender and conformity. You can say, you know, I messed up. I'm going to back away from that, and I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm going to yield to the Lord. I'm going to be obedient. But you're going to turn around and make the same mistake over and over and over until it becomes a pattern of mistakes and turns into a habit of sin because it's literally in prayer at the altar where surrender to Jesus takes place. And that's where conformity to Jesus takes place. So it's good to have effort. It's good to make up your mind and you know, say, I'm, I'm going to uh, do this. It's good to be determined. But that determination comes after you've spent time in the altar. It doesn't replace the altar. And finally, Jesus is our altar. And as such, he is the place of exchange and transformation. We're not transformed because we think transformed only. Transformation begins at the altar. In prayer, when I'm on my face before God and I am pouring out my heart and discussing things with the Father and letting Him talk to me, that's where I'm actually changing and being transformed. That's where I'm trading my sorrows for joy. That's where I'm relinquishing my weakness, and he is making me strong. The altar is the place where every covenant transaction between heaven and earth takes place, is at the altar. Somebody say amen. amen. So the altar of prayer is the place of connection with God, where every transaction, as I said, takes place between heaven and earth. It's where we receive the authorization code. It's where we receive authority. Let me share with you um, scripture about the altar and about receiving authority. And what I'm going to share with you, you're probably going to listen to it and think, I never really thought about that as being Jesus talking about the altar and giving us authority. But hear what he says, it's familiar, and see if you don't see it in that light. John 15, 7 through 11. If you remain, abide, live in me, and my words remain, abide, and live in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Do you see the authority? My Father is honored by this, so that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain, abide, live in my love. If you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and I remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That whole section, Jesus is talking about how I give you authority. That's what that was about. How I take your weakness, transform you, and how I cover you with my authority, 
and allow my authority to abide in you so that you go, even in your weakness, with the backing of heaven when you go forth. And I, I read that whole segment about if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Just like I love the Father and you see our oneness. Because love and obedience to God, to his word, are the motives that bring you and the Father together at the altar. When you come to the altar, maybe you first came because you felt dry spiritually or weak, or maybe you've made a mistake, or maybe you just want to thank God for something he's done. There's something that's motivated you. But once the altar starts revving its engines, once that communion starts taking place, once the exchange starts happening, once you start feeling and receiving the authority of God. He speaks a word to you, boom, authority fills you. He speaks another word, authority. It brings authority in your life. That motivation, both on the Father's part and on your part, is love. Not fear, not greed, not anxiety, but love and obedience. Love and obedience motivate the Father to meet with you and motivate you to engage with him. And love and obedience are the door through which God's authority operates in your life. <clears throat> we were built, designed by God. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. We were designed by the Father as and if you were finishing the sentence, what would you say? You'd probably begin by saying, to be in his image and likeness. What is the one feature about God that stands out? He is authority. He is the Lord. That's why we call him the Lord, his authority. You might think, well, the one feature that stands out about me is love. Love without authority is a thin sentiment and has no power. Real love is always full of authority. Hallelujah. And so we were designed by God to be extensions of his authority. When he made us in his image and likeness, in the mind of God was, I want to move my authority through these beings. Now angels are what? Messengers. Why are we better than the angels. Because we are designed not just to be messengers, we are designed to exercise the authority of God. When he created Adam, he put him in the garden, what did he say? Rule, reign. Have what? Have dominion. Rule, reign, have dominion. We are designed for that. That's why when humans go off the reservation, they become what? Tyrants, bullies. They still have that urge to exercise authority, to exercise dominion. But because they are fallen from the Father and they're off the reservation, they're corrupted in sin, that authority expresses itself as abuse. But you see, we're children of God's love. And as we let love saturate our, saturate our life, it moves us to be obedient to him. And when you are that Christian, 
who loves God and you are willing to be obedient, no matter how afraid his assignment, how fearful the assignment he gives you is, you overcome that fear with love. Love casts out fear. And so it's because you love the Father and you've been in prayer and he speaks to you about doing something. You didn't want to do it and you're, it, it has some, there's some apprehension, anxiety. You're able to find the boldness to exercise that authority and do it. Why? Because love, the love of God, the agape God, is filling your heart. Now in that scripture that I read you out of John where Jesus said, abide in me and and my words abide in you, you'll ask whatever you want. Authority will flow through you. He makes this phrase, and I don't know if you caught it, but it says, my father is honored by this. That caught my attention because I want to honor God. So if he says this is what honors God, I want to know what this is. So if God says this honors me, would you be curious enough to ask him, what is this? Would you? Sure. You don't want to just go to church and, you know, you know, sing the songs and follow along in the message. You, you want to know how to really please God, how to honor him. So Jesus says, my father is honored by this, that you bear much fruit and show that you are my disciples. Now, I know that he is saying, my father's honored when you bear fruit. But when you take it in its entirety, Jesus started out by saying, abide in me, my words abide in you, and ask and you will see that it is done for you. You will operate in a level of authority. When you abide in me and my words abide in you, you love me and keep my commandments, what will the net result be of you exercising authority? You'll bear fruit. Many Christians have hearts filled with desire, minds filled with good intention, but they won't use authority, and that's why they don't have a lot of fruit. You would have more fruit in your life if you would use this authority. Authority is the key. Godly authority is the key to fruit. And why? Because he said, my father's honored by this. When you use authority, that I have given you, my Father's honored. The Father was honored when Jesus used authority. Lazarus, come forth. The leper, Lord, if you will, you can cleanse me. I will. What is that? That's authority. He's doing what? He's saying, I will. Yes. No. Jesus glorified the Father. Even the Father got so excited, he said, yep, I got to come down and say something. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. Why? Because he executed perfect divine authority. He came not as a boss, but as a lamb. Yet, nobody was able to abuse and control him. Hallelujah. So, when he says, my father's honored by this, we need to define what this is. This flow of my authority expressed in my favor towards you as you manifest my authority in your acts and in your speaking. This authority, now hear this, this authority that the Lord has given us 
is exactly why Lucifer attacked us. It's exactly why I went into the garden, went after Eve. The whole thing was about authority. He saw, he heard, God said, I give you the authority. Lucifer said, that's what I want. Lucifer had no authority. He was cast out. He was a rebel. But he did have this uncanny ability to talk. He could talk people out of things. He talked three a third, 30% of the angels of heaven into following him. The man, the angel, whatever, had a mouth. He could talk. So he figured, I'm going to talk to man. I want that authority. I want to rule. He shouldn't be ruling. I should be ruling the earth. The authority God has given us is exactly why Lucifer attacked us. Our authority is Satan's drug of choice. He sucks the life out of the human race using our authority against us. The story of 6,000 years of human history is the story of Lucifer, of Satan, getting a hold of one generation after another from individual authority, family authority, community authority, national authority, empire authority, everywhere there's authority, everywhere there's a judge, everywhere there's a magistrate, everywhere there's an administrator, you'll find Lucifer trying to take that authority. And human history is a sad, bloody script because it's all about Satan attacking us to get our authority. As I said, it's his drug of choice. And let me say to you that you are never more like the devil than when you are abusing others with the authority that you've stolen from them. This is why humanity, this is, is why humanity has been the most damaged by tyrants, bullies, and evil administrators. I know there's a lot of other kinds of sins. There's moral sins, and, and uh, there's swearing and driving too fast, and uh, I don't want to minimize any of those things. Eating too much. You know, there's all kinds of sins. Thinking impure thoughts, acting on them. All sins, they're all bad, not good. But the things that have damaged the human race more than anything else, there's not even a close second. Tyrants, bullies, and evil administrators. Everywhere there's some man or some woman or some group of people who want are lusting after authority. Why? They're filled with Lucifer. They're full of Satan. They may not even know it. They're the devil is siphoning off of their emotions. He uses their weakness. He uses their greed, their lust for power. He gets in through that door to their life. And he gets hold of that authority. And too many Christians shrink and back down when they're faced with that roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. He roars his accusations at you. He roars his commands. And too many Christians back up. Instead, what did Jesus do every time the liar came to Jesus? 
Lord, you could do this. Why don't you do that? He said, it is written. He didn't call the devil names. He didn't call up the pastor. He got out the word. And he stood on that word. He used what? Authority. He wasn't just throwing scriptures at the devil. He was exercising his authority. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. He took him to school. He gave him a time out. You say, how do you know he gave him a time out? The Bible says the devil left him for a season. He put the devil in time out. How did he do it? He used authority. Hallelujah. Every time you effectively pray and hear the word of God and take it and use it against some trial Satan's cooked up against you, you put him in time out. He cannot stand against you when you are walking in the authority of God. So you're also never more like Jesus than when you're living from the altar and expressing his authority. That's why I love to hear Christians pray when there's a sense of, I know what I'm saying. I'm not just throwing religious words up in the air. You ever seen people when they're practicing their batting? Bonk. 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 You're not just batting softballs out into a field where nobody's there. I love to hear Christians pray when they've got a target in, in their sights and they've waited on God and they've got a word. It may be the same word everyone else is saying, but when they say it, they've heard from God. They are speaking that word and they don't say any more or any less. That's authority. It's faithful to what the thus says the Lord is. Somebody say, amen, praise God. We need to understand God's authority. Have you thought about God's authority? Have you ever sat down and thought about, well, in what way is God all-powerful? In what way is he the authority over everything? What does that really mean? Why is God the one who is in authority? Can his authority ever change? Can it be ever taken away? Can it be diminished? What is the nature of his authority and why it's so important that you can answer those questions is because that is precisely the authority that he wants to give you. And so you need to know. You better know how it operates and what it's based on. So I want to just give you a couple of thoughts to begin your uh, quest to learn about God's authority. God's authority stems from the completeness and the perfection of his nature. Let that absorb in your mind. God's nature is complete and perfect. His authority stems from that. No one is ever going to discover an error or an imperfection in him. Never. It's never going to happen. There is no error, no imperfection. His authority does not have any blind spots, does not have any imperfections. There's no injustice. There's no oversight where he overlooks something. There's no overlooking things. He sees all perfectly. His authority, and this one's really important, God's authority is not evolving through time. It's not developing. 
He's not growing in his authority as history unfolds itself. From the very beginning before anything was ever spoken or done, God was replete and complete in total authority. So there is no evolving of God's authority. Reality and time are firmly fixed under his control. There is no developing of reality. When people think they are eroding reality, all they're eroding is their grip on reality in their own mind. We have a society crumbling today, if you listen to Satan's evil report, crumbling today, not because reality is crumbling, but because their grip on reality is crumbling. There's a big difference. Reality is what it is. When you're dead, when they throw you into the ground, cover you with dirt, 500 years, they dig up your bones. They throw it in a lab and they analyze it. Guess what? They're going to say, that's a man. That's a woman. They're not going to say anything other than one of those two. See, that's reality. But when you were alive, what did you think you were? You see, you can't change reality by thinking. Jesus said, who of you can change your stature, your shape, your size, your dimension by thinking? You can't even change one hair on your head without Sister Clairol giving you a hand. Is that not right? So there's no developing, there's no evolving of his authority. Time and reality fixed under his authority. His nature is unassailable. His authority is impregnable. It cannot be penetrated. It cannot be chipped away at. It simply is. And so when Moses said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am. What a statement of authority. I am. And I like to say, reality is, I am says what is. You should write that somewhere in your Bible. I am says what is. You fools can run around out there and make any kind of silly, childish, pretend, make-believe proclamations you want. You can do all of that craziness you're simply going to put yourself in a position where you're going to account for either your support and agreement with reality or your attack and assault against it. You're either a child of truth or you're a child of deception. No deception ever, no matter how many people agree to it, if the entire family, the entire community, if the entire nation all together comes into total one accord, if we resurrect Nimrod from the grave and we let him build this tower so that now nothing they imagine will be impossible to them, the fact is God knew that there is no Nimrod that can change reality. All they can do is convince themselves that they're changing reality and bring upon them the punishment and the consequences of their rebellion against reality, against God. God's authority comes from his reality. 
Somebody say amen, because I am says what is. In short, when you live at the altar of Jesus, and you never go far away from prayer, when you live at the altar of Jesus, and you quickly return to it if you stray, when you live at the altar of Jesus, and you carefully and thoroughly spread your heart out upon it, when you live at the altar of Jesus and you learn the language of the word and you walk in it, when those things happen in your life, get ready. Then the 91st Psalm describes the authority that Jesus will cover you with and allow you to share with him. Let me read to you the 91st Psalm. Listen to every phrase because the 91st Psalm is telling you when you abide in the altar, this is how my authority is going to look in your life. As for you, the one who lives in the shelter of the Most High and resides in the protective shadow of the Sovereign One, I say this about the Lord, my shelter and my stronghold, my God in whom I trust, he will certainly rescue you from the snare of the hunter and from the destructive plague. He will shelter you with his wings and you will find safety under his wings. His faithfulness is like a shield or a protective wall. You will not Fear the terrors of the night or the arrows that fly by day, the plague that stalks in the darkness or the disease that ravages at noon. Though a thousand may fall beside you and a multitude on your right side, it will not reach you. Certainly, you will see it with your very own eyes. You will see the wicked paid back for you have taken refuge in the Lord, my shelter, the Most High. No harm will overtake you. No illness will come near your home. For you, for, for you, he will order his angels to protect you in all that you do. They will lift you up in their hands so you don't slip and fall even on a stone. You will subdue a lion and a snake. You will trample underfoot a young lion and a serpent. The Lord says, because he is devoted to me. Now, he's, this is God talking about you living in the altar. The Lord says, because he is devoted to me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he is loyal to me. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him when he is in trouble. I will rescue him and bring him honor. I will satisfy him with long life and will let him see my salvation. Did God leave anything out? God left no. I mean, there's a good life right there. Can you say amen? That is a description of the altar of authority. When you live under the altar of authority, that is yours. Hallelujah. 
Jesus taught us that God wants your heart and your tongue rooted, submitted, surrendered to his altar so that you can speak and act with his authority. And in so doing, we are fulfilling our created destiny to be the image and likeness of God ruling and reigning over the earth. Now I want to close with this thought. Authority is given or stolen through speaking. God speaks to you. You hear it. You speak. The devil speaks to you. You hear it. You repeat it. Authority is given and authority is removed and stolen through speaking. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love its use will eat its fruit. So if you're a talker, he's saying, which is fine, just make sure you're talking life, not death. Because if you love to talk, just make sure you're listening to God and repeating what he is saying. Which brings me to this point. Don't let the devil talk you away from the altar. Don't let him talk to you and tell you things that keep you from the altar of prayer. Luke 4, 6 through 7. Listen, Satan came to Jesus. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. How did Satan attack Jesus? He was trying to get Jesus' authority. He said, if you worship me, you'll be subordinating your authority to me. How did he attack Jesus? He didn't go up and slap him. He didn't challenge him to an arm wrestling duel. He didn't offer him money. He talked to him. And he tried to get Jesus to agree. He tried to get Jesus to engage with him in conversation. Jesus would not conversate with the devil. He knows the devil's a liar. When a servant of Satan comes up to conversate with you, do not engage with the devil. Simply do what the Word says. The Holy Spirit will be right there telling you what to say, what to do. But I want to make this point. That is through speaking, that authority is withdrawn and extracted. Satan tried to get authority away from Jesus by talking him out of it. The authority to speak life and power comes from the altar. That's where it comes from. And that's why in John 15, 7 through 11, if you abide and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, it will be done for you. And we'll close with this scripture, Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Whoever says to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, He'll have what she will have whatsoever she says. We're going to let the women have a shot at this. Hallelujah. Now, people have misunderstood this verse. They've, they've thought that somebody who's you know, not too mature, maybe self-centered, might take this promise and go out and do it and do something wrong with it. Good luck. Knock yourself out. I'll be in the stands watching. 
I want to see you move a mountain. You're not going to move a mountain unless God has put the speaking in your mouth. Unless, you've co- unless you're coming from the altar and the Lord has said, go speak to that mountain. You can talk at it all you want. You're nothing more than a parrot going whatever the parrots say. So understand, God wants you and I to speak. He wants you and I to be his mouthpiece. Live at his altar and learn to speak with authority.